Yeah, and we're back. We got Mike Bolin here. You're listening at either Mindset Squared or at Cernovich. And in part one of this series, we talked about the systemic wide threats of coronavirus to the economy and to the real estate. And we did some big picture policy discussion. So please listen to that. But we don't want to be doom and gloom. We want to be realistic. So what we're going to talk about today is what this coronavirus and its effect, because right now it's mainly the secondary effects, this economic effect. How is that affecting businesses? And, and I know Mike has had a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, I know Mike has had a lot of real estate business. So maybe we'll just, you know, lean on to you, Mike. How, what are you seeing out there? What are you personally experiencing? And we don't want to obviously, you know, reach into your books, so to speak. But if you could give us some rough numbers, that would really help contextualize what's happening. Yeah. So we're, um, you know, I, I do a lot of different types of real estate investing. And so that, that's what I do. And so that's the frame or, or the mindset that I come to this from. But uh, what, you know, what we're seeing is I'm, I'm getting a lot of calls from realtors. Okay. And they're saying, Hey, you know, my, my sellers are really motivated. And do you want to come and take a look at this property? Uh, they're, they're thinking about a price reduction or they'd be willing to look at a, a lower price on this property. Um, I am getting emails. Now I get email blasts from realtors all around the San Francisco Bay area about different properties. And for the first time since 2008, I'm starting to see language um, inside uh, these emails. And this has been, you know, this has been 12 years since I've seen this kind of language, uh, 2008, nine. Uh, where you're starting to see make offer, uh, seller highly motivated wow. in all caps. Um, seller will, this is, this is really, it's a nuance, but it's really important. Seller will respond to any and all offers. Okay. And so that's a big one. Um, so you're seeing that there is some worry among sellers out there that the market is going to dip here. And so you're seeing a, a shift in language and in marketing tactic, tactics from realtors that I haven't seen in, in 12 years. So that's a big deal. We're also starting to see things like uh, on this, is, this would be more on the rugs and drapes side of the business, the actual ready to buy move into uh, residential side of the business. But we're starting to see things like uh, HOA dues will be paid for one year you know, on condominiums. Again, stuff we haven't seen in 12 years. Uh, seller offering $5,000 uh, mortgage buy down on the rate, you know, things like that. And again, these are all, you know, the, hey, this is on sale kind of language that's already popped up in like a, a 10 day period. So I think that that is indicative that we are moving very, very, very quickly into a downtrend in pricing. Now, I do think that, you know, for people that have been on the sidelines, uh, if you're going to be in a house for a very long period of time, you know, seven or more years, then now is probably a great time to put your foot in the water and uh, you're not going to have a lot of competition. You're probably going to be able to drive a really good price. And, uh, you know, I think it's a great buying opportunity for retail owner occupied buyers. Not for investors. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk multiple angles. So one is that, I mean, it's housing's going to crash. There's no other way right. around it. Who in, the, who in the world would buy a house right now, even if you had, which a lot of people do have, a lot of people have capital on the sidelines. Why would you buy today? Well, you know, there, are, there are some reasons, okay? So okay. let's say, and let me give you an example. Um, you live in Cleveland, Ohio. You're the CFO of a large corporation. You've been making a million five for the past 25 years. 
you live in a three million, three and a half million dollar house that you sold in October of 2019 and you pocketed that three and a half million and you're 74 years old and you want to move to Napa Valley to retire and your uh, the assumption would be is that you would move here, uh, retire and probably pass away in the house. Do you really give a shit about price or where it's going to be? Right, right. Okay, so for, those, for that buyer, okay, um, now is probably a really great time to step into the market and buy a prime property with no, no competition. There's not, you're not going to see multiple offers. And again, if you have a really long time horizon, really long owner occupied time horizon, it, it's probably a really great time to step into the market. If you're not price sensitive and you're coming in with say three and a half million to, to buy something and you're going to buy a $900,000 two bedroom, two bath house for you and your wife to retire in great time. Great time. How many buyers are there like that? I guess it's the. Uh, it's a pretty small percentage. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we are, the baby boomers are retiring. You do have a lot of people retiring and you have a lot of people downsizing. So for those that did downsize over the past two years, uh, you know, that you sold your Mick mansion in, in the Midwest, you know, with the brick on the front and, you know, vinyl siding on the other three sides for the Mick, Mick mansion sellers that, you know, sold for, you know, big money. Uh, the past two years and now, and they, maybe they've been renting like, try, hey, hey, do I want to live in, you know, Raleigh, Durham? Do I want to live in Napa Valley? Do I want to live in Sarasota? You know, and renting and trying stuff out for those people that have kind of, hey, I've honed in. Yeah, I want to live in on, you know, Hutchinson Island, um, you know, in Florida. Uh, it might be a great time for those people to step in. Again, if you're older, you're not price sensitive and you're moving way, way down in, in value. So, you know, you sold your house, you made a big profit on it and you're going to buy something that's, you know, w already was going to be 20% below what you had before. Okay. So for those people that are moving from a very expensive market, say Chicago um, and, or San Francisco, and they're moving to, you know, a less expensive market in South Carolina or in Florida, the retirees, great time for retirees. Right. Now I'm not advising you get out of the house without your, you know, wait till the, the no, stuff. No, I mean, yeah, there, there's also people like Jay who you've met and I do podcasts with. They yeah. were waiting to buy a place and the real, where they're at, you just, the, the housing was hot anyway, in a way that you couldn't believe. Yeah. So there's a lot of people who are like, well, okay, the, you know, the right house is going to, to come by. We don't care if we quote unquote overpay 10% because we're not waiting on the bottom. Right. And so, and, right. and again, if you're a family and, you know, you are gainfully employed and there's no chance you're going to lose your job and you've got, you know, a wife and three or four kids and, you know, you live in the Midwest and, you know, houses were at 450,000 for the 3,500 square foot house in the perfect neighborhood. And, you know, now they're 425 and you're going to be there for 25 years. Buy. Why would you not buy, you know, because that's not a, that's not an investment anyway. Right. That's just a lifestyle thing. So yeah, it's just your rent. And housing was, I mean, everything was uh, absurd. The, the Dow 30,000 was still absurd. I can't believe that ever happened. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought it would be good. I thought it'd be good, but I, I in one of my retirement accounts, cause I can't use it. So I don't ever check it. I logged in and I was like, wait, these numbers can't be right. 32%. How did I do in 2019? I did 32%. And my guy's like, oh yeah, that's just what the market did. You're just in, you know, index funds or whatever. Yeah. And that was unbelievable returns. Right. Housing was up. I mean, every, we did, we were due, for, we've been due for a correction for a little bit. 
I didn't expect it to be like this though, because this is not a bubble popping. That's what a lot of people are trying to act like they're geniuses. Oh, I told you we were in a bubble. <laughs> this is not a bubble popping. This is not that assets were so overvalued. Right. No, there's, there's two words for what this is. Black swan. That's it. Black swan event. That's it. That's all it is. And there's no way that anybody could have predicted it in, unless you believe the conspiracy theories that the Chinese released this as a bioweapon. Which I, def I don't, and I'll tell you why. I've answered that question a few times. The, the reason I was to coronavirus early was because a friend of mine was launching a new product and I was helping him with it. He did, he, it was going to kill. And it still will kill, but he did a million dollars in pre-sales. So wow. they're just locked and loaded, ready to go. And I go, hey, um, you know, have you launched this product yet? This is early January. No, I can't do it, bro. I'm like, what do you mean you can't do it? Factories are shut down in China. I was like, what are you talking about? Because I, I hadn't heard anyone talking about this. Mm. Like, what are you talking about? And he said, yeah, there's this thing, like this new like, virus thing going around there and trying to just shut everything down. That's, oh. what, that's why I started paying attention to coronavirus. Because China would not shut down. China, as much as we're hurting, China's hurting worse because people are like super poor. So for us, a step down is painful. For them, a step down is starvation. Right. And China's, China doesn't put a high premium on human life. So I knew that if China shut down its company or its country, risking trillions of dollars in, in losses, losses of GDP, then it had to be something serious. So that's what initially brought me into it. So I, I, China wouldn't have done that to its own country. No way, because this is how the regime's already kind of having some troubles anyway. And they wouldn't want the kind of upheaval and unrest that would happen. Now, the, the, broad, the, the harder question is, that's a fantastic perspective, though, you know, to see that um, economically, because you're right. I mean, everything, China's all about the economics, and that, that's what fuels, you know, their, their civilization. Right. And, and the Chinese, even though they're quote-unquote communist, about every 10 years after you've looted, the understanding is you have to go to Vancouver, Canada, with your 50 or 100 million that you stole from the people, so that the younger communists underneath you can take it. So they're all they're all skimming from the top. There was I don't know if you ever saw that video where they found a communist Chinese official with just bars of gold like oh, stacked yeah. up. Yes. It was yeah. They're so they they're not trying to lose that dough. They're not trying to right end, end that. So there's no way it was something like that. There there is a, a problem though that that i have which is why do we not prepare more for asteroids or pandemics people like bill gates his hobby horse has been pandemics for years which my people are like oh my god the bill gates foundation talked about viruses i'm like yes he's been warning us right, right. people really like losing their minds and in, in all of this where like, well, so Bill Gates was responsible. No, Bill Gates was warning people for years. You can even find the old grainy TED Talks before right. TED became this institution where he's like, the next big killer is not going to be nuclear war. It's going to be a pandemic. So there, there was the sense that a pandemic like a 9-11 could happen. We just didn't know when. Well, and sure. There's been, really I mean, Dustin Hoffman made a movie about this, right? Right. I mean, the, and there's a lot of movies about it. And there's a lot of, uh, I mean, one of the most popular TV shows in the United States for like the past 
five or six years has been The Walking Dead, which is about this very thing, right? Right. Just with a zombie element, but the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's, and there's been a lot of, there was, I watched this show. I can't remember what it's called. I think it was called Colony, but about the occupation of America by aliens and where there, so there's a lot of dystopian things in the cultural zeitgeist. So we should have, we should have had some kind of contingency. This is what we don't have in America. We don't, nobody has it in the world. Well, I think the problem is though, how how do you know what the issue is going to be? I mean, what if, what if this virus was a thing that didn't attack your lungs, but it attacked your feet. And three days later, you got gangrene and your legs fell off. I mean, right. you know, how do you, how do you say, you can't say, oh, well, Trump should have had all these respirators. Cause how do you know that the pandemic was going to be a, a lung issue? I mean, it right. could be a eyeball issue. Or right. And that's why I'm not politicizing it. What we don't have is a, what I would call, I would come up with the sex in your name, like space force for it, obviously, but the department of improbable risks right? Uh-huh. The apartment of a big risk. So you would just have a guy and you would say, okay, what happens if we have this? Cause we knew we were going to have some kind of super flu eventually. That's not, we, and we knew we had something like MRSA, methicillin resistant bacteria. So we know that there's these like flesh eating bacterias that sure. we can't kill. So you, you just, you have a guy, this is what you do. If you're a serious government, you have a department where you, you just have a couple PhDs in there, a couple quants, epidemiologists and say, okay, let's just assume that the new pig flu comes and it's going to kill 40% of the population. What does it look like? You know, cascade effects. But don't you think the Pentagon already does this stuff? Obviously not, because what the, their response to this was garbage. If they do it, they're doing it in an incompetent manner because what you would have told Trump, and this is what people like, you know, us were saying early, early on is shut down the border, roll out mass testing, encourage self-quarantines early on. Mike Cernovich is president. February 1st would have said, there's this thing coming out of China, the coronavirus. I think we're going to be okay, but I want to save your lives. I don't want to risk it. So we're ordering new massive testing and we're asking people, especially um, people above 65, to stay in. So if you're older, because the, the, it primarily hits the elderly anyway. Right. It hits everyone and blah, blah, blah. But we, we know the, the mortality and we would just say, you know, well, here's what we're asking people to do. And then that would at least adjust the mindset. So now people aren't panicking because so much in life is about, oh, there's a tsunami. Or, or, like I just say you're, you're dad. I'm a dad. Um, if one time when I saw my daughter, I don't know how it happened. She got into a razor blade. She's had blood like splurting from her finger. Mm. And I'm like, oh my God, but you, but if you say, oh my God, then your kid's going to be like, oh my God. And then it, it creates this cascade. So I was like, oh, hey babe, like what, oh, what's going on? And I saw that she'd found a rate. That's another thing you learn as a parent. You start to think about risk because the world that you live in is not dangerous. I walk around my room fine. You have kids, you're like, oh wow, her, her finger could get caught in a little hinge or right, right. even though this is a razor with the, the five blades that I would never cut myself with, a kid will turn it upside down and put it on their finger, right? It just doesn't even occur to you. And so you, if you panic, then your kid panics and I was a disaster. And then I was like, oh, hey. And I just put a little gauze on it like everything's fine. Yeah, that times a million is what you have to do as president and say, hey, there's this thing happening, even if you're panicking, hey, there's this like thing happening. Here's our plan. Here's our rollout. Um, We're not anticipating mass casualties, but we're just going to update you. And then it's chill. But instead, you can't get in this reactive 
cycle. Because right now, Trump and his people for the past three or four days have done a great job. Even Dana Bash at CNN, she got in quote unquote in trouble because people are mad. You're like, <laughs> I no, they're that doing clip all over do. social media. Yeah. They're like, what's going on over at CNN? You know? Yeah. So if, if that had been adjusted backwards by six weeks, then we wouldn't be in this predicament we're in now, where everybody, there's this group think now, we're, we're, we are now in a state of mass ecology. I hesitate to call it hysteria because that'll be taken out of context. But by mass ecology, I mean that, oh, California shut down, now Pennsylvania will, well, now New York does. So then it becomes a question of how do you not shut down? Because then if people die, you're the person who got everybody killed. So now you have to react to what everyone else is doing even though it's that cascade that's causing all these disastrous secondary effects and creating even more panic and more uncertainty. Right. So there, if the Pentagon does have a department of improbable risk, fat tail risk, big risk, they did a terrible job of <laughs> modeling out what could happen. Well, they didn't do a good job at all. Right. Um, I do think it's important. One thing I think that, that we should mention is Think about it if you, um, let me think about it. Let me put it to you this way. People say, hey, you, you can't, you, you don't want to fear monger and all this stuff. And I'm kind of playing off of what you just said here. But if you own a junkyard, okay, and you need to find like some certain types of parts and you got to go to somebody else's junkyard to do that. And so I guess what I'm saying is you have to look into the abyss. You have to look into the crap. And you have to be aware of it in order to find business opportunities that are out there. And that's not fear mongering and it's not, you know, scaring people and, and all that kind of stuff. But if we want to look at this and you want to keep a level head and you want to come out of this better on the other side, I mean, what if you're a guy that, you know, is, has been thinking about opening up a coffee shop. Okay. And there's two or three of them in town and one or one or two of those hasn't been doing real well for a long time. Maybe you've saved up enough money to buy one. Now might be a good time to go and talk to that owner and say, hey, you know, maybe we could work something out and, you know, I could take this, take this uh, albatross off of your hands. And that might be a really good deal for him and it might be a really good deal for you. And you do have to look through the junkyard, the shit, you know, the shit box, the shit holes to find these opportunities. And so I think people need to be very aware of that. And, you know, you don't want to be like all, you know, rainbows and teddy bears and stuff. Um, you know, I, I think it's important for everybody to keep a level head, um, but you do need to look through the garbage to find, find the treasures. Yeah, you need to do that. And you need to, how do you want to say, I, I want to eat, when people are losing their minds, my specialty is always the individual level. What can people do on an individual level while all of this is happening? Well, I think that there's a lot of things you can do. I mean, you know, we, we talk about this in the, you know, you and I have a lot of uh, common friends. I, I've met a lot of your friends that you've been friends with for a long time. And, you know, like I, I talk about, uh, or I'm thinking about uh, Alexander Cortez. I mean, he talks a lot about, you know, getting physically fit and focusing on your, your body, right? So I know it's really hard. You got all the, these jokes out there about, hey, I bought two weeks worth of snacks and I ate them all in 18 hours. Um, but now's a great time, I think, to focus on, your inner self. It's a great time to focus on your health and fitness. Uh, it's a great time to, you know, read some of those books. You know, you bought 18 books for last year and you only read three of them. Uh, it's probably a great time to expand your mind. 
Um, and it's also a great time to work on, you know, maybe people are into side hustles or you want to increase your, you know, you work as a stockbroker and, you know, you're in the middle of the pack and you want to be the best. Well, now it's probably a time to get on YouTube or, or buy those courses, um, you know, about how to be a better salesman and things like that. So I think that there's a lot of ways that people can really level up their personal skill set. And now is there's never been a better time than to do that than right now. It's like everybody's snowed in. Yeah, it's a snow day, and everybody everybody's on the internet though. My metrics are all like double. It's cr it's crazy. You can just see you can just see like everybody. The the quarantine has absolutely reflected my stats. Because well, what do you what is a typical? Let's say back in January. Let's go back two months before anybody really knew anything about this. December, January. On on a typical month, how many impressions do you get on a on your Twitter? Yeah, for me, usually eighty to one hundred twenty a month. Okay. 80 to 120 million a month. Yeah. Would be the norm. And there, so take, so take it. Yeah. 80 to 120. Um, okay. Maybe 80 is on the low end, but. And what, are you, seeing, what are you seeing now over I'm like. At 141 for March and it's March 21st. Oh, okay. So that still has another seven days to go. So you'd probably be at. I'll hit 200. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'll hit, I'll hit 200. For sure. Let's see. So I'm averaging for the last seven days, I'm averaging 8.7 a day. And that's up from closer to like 4.2 to 3.8 a day. So yeah, people are, people are abiding by the quarantine. People are staying home and reading the internet, myself included. I need to take my own advice and read books, read a little bit more books too, but well, yeah. And if you're, yeah, if you're doing something where you're selling something online, you know, whatever that is, you know, maybe you're selling, you know, cars online or you're selling um, whatever it is, uh, you know, maybe now is a great time to pick up and, and buy that, you know, $3,000, uh, you know, Facebook ads course or something, you know, I mean, I, I think that kind of stuff is just really, I mean, now's the time when you can really level up your personal skill set and you should. I mean, even here at, at my, you know, facility here in, in, in the business that I own with, with my uh, buddy, Chris, I mean, we're getting a lot of projects done right now that we've kind of been putting off for like three months, you know, so we're, we're keeping employees on staff and we're continuing to pay them, but we're giving them different duties. Mm -hmm. So we're doing some online stuff. Um, we're putting a online uh, management system in place right now, uh, you know, that we have been putting off for like, I don't know, what is that, Chris, 60, 90 days we've been oh, putting that thing off, yeah, right. you know? So it, Chris is behind the camera here, but um, yeah, like 60, 90 days we've been putting off uh, doing this online portal for uh, our Airbnb business. So now we're spending, uh, you know, probably 20, 30 hours a week of employee time uh, putting that into place. So, you know, there's a lot of projects that really could increase productivity for your existing business or your existing job. Um, or, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of side hustles, but if you go that route now would probably be a good time to focus on that. There's, yeah, there's a lot of housekeeping people could do a lot of catching up on things. More people are going to have to live by a budget to learn how to set a budget. There's a lot of, again, the term is housekeeping that other businesses use the dreaded admin day, the dreaded you right. know, Friday from 5 PM to 9 PM everybody else is having fun and you're doing your books or whatever. And that's going to be people for, for every day, kind of. Now yeah. your own business, how has it been impacted? 
You know, we've had to, um, we've had to look at uh, employee staffing levels and we've had to reduce that dramatically. Um, you know, we just don't have the, uh, the flow of business. And we've also pulled back the reins on some of our uh, fix and flip, fix and flip uh, activities. And so um, we're also not doing uh, the wholesaling activity like we were before. So, uh, you know, that's had a cascade effect even over into, we use virtual, virtual assistance as well. And so we're not using the amount of virtual assistance that we were before. And um, so it's just been a, you have to, you know, as a business owner, you have to look out and say, okay, if I put a, for us, it's properties, right? But if I put a property in a contract, that's worth, $500,000 and I'm going to put that into contract for 400,000 and try to sell it to somebody for 420. I've got to readjust all my numbers. And that's what we've done is we've said, well, we can't, the margins that we were working on three, three weeks ago, even we, we can't work on those kind of margins anymore. We have to reduce all of that way down. So we've had to make those changes. And in some cases we're like, we can't predict where the market's going to be. And so we're not going to take that risk of buying assets right now. Mm -hmm. So we're not deploying capital like we were before. Now you told me you're losing, I don't want to do the exact numbers, but you're losing, we can say a considerable amount of monthly money in bookings. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, well, we're well over six figures in cancellations. We're seeing, you know, uh, thousands and thousands of dollars a day. Um, you know, we're filming this on a weekend day, but, um, you know, we've seen over $7,000 in cancellations on a single weekend day today. And uh, that, that continues to happen. So, I mean, these are just, they're massive numbers for, you know, a small business. And our Airbnb business is, is you know, uh, it's a small business, you know, and, uh, but it's uh, endemic of what's happening, you know, all over the country. I mean, we're not the only ones you get into these Facebook groups where you have, you know, 18,000 other uh, short-term rental hosts, you know, that host on VRBO or Airbnb. And, you know, they're all, all, this is, you know, nationwide. It's not just us. And the problem is, is that a lot of people aren't in a situation like us where they have cash on hand, where, you know, they can, you know, weather the storm. Um, you know, a lot of these people were, they were doing, there was a big thing in the um, short-term rental space right now called, or was, called uh, rental arbitrage. And that's where you go and rent a house, say for, you know, uh, $10,000 on the beach somewhere. And then you try to Airbnb it for 13,000 a month and make that $3,000 spread. Um, those people are in real trouble. Right. They're crushed, right? Their mortgages are just gonna come due and that's the end of that. It's the end of it, right. I mean, and, and, you know, and then of course that goes back to, you know, what about the landlord that owned that building that yeah. signed one year lease with this guy or a two year lease at $10,000 a month on this beach house? You know, what, you know, I, I, I mean, the, the amount of lawsuits and the litigation and stuff that's gonna happen right now, um, it's, it's not good. No, and for, so for those who, who don't know and are listening in for the first time, we're talking to Mike Bolin. He does real estate investing and Airbnbs. And a lot of people, that's what he's talking about, the spread, that $3,000 spread. A lot of people would say, okay, I'm credit worthy enough to buy a house. They would buy a house. Their mortgage would be, say, 10000 a month. Yep. And, um, and then they would, with rentals, they would have 3000 a month and that's 3000 a month profit. And you're like, Hey, not too shabby. And for most people that was an investment. So they're not spending that 3000. They're taking that 3000 and rolling it in and now they're getting other properties. So there are a lot of people with five Airbnbs 
that are all have those, what were good margins. If you're doing 13,000 a month on 10,000, I mean, come on, you're, 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 you do that long enough, you're going to be very rich and that's gone overnight. It, right. Some Airbnb occupancies are going from fully booked to just zero. Yeah, they, uh, there's a, there's now my facility that I'm actually in right now, we're, we're located at the Napa airport. There's a huge hotel that they built about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, right down the street, a thousand feet away from me here. And, uh, it's called Vista Colina and it's a very little, it's a, not little, it's a very large, fancy hotel that was just built. Two days ago, they announced they shut the whole thing down. I mean, they didn't just say, hey, we're going to block off like one floor. The whole thing is shut down, just like, you know, what's happening in Vegas. So that, that's pretty scary. You got an entire hotel that's mothballed and a new one. So you think about what the mortgage carry is on a, you know, an $80 million hotel or something. I mean, right. imagine what the, the, you know, the tax payments, the insurance payments, the utilities and the mortgages on something like that is just, you know amazing. Yeah. And that's big and small. Everybody is impacted. And that's why in the earlier podcast, we talked about what people can do or rather what can be done system wide that in a way isn't a bailout. What we talked about is taking the interest payment from the mortgage and just recapitalizing that into the balance of the, of the mortgage. Right. So if you, if you're more, if you owe $200,000 on your mortgage, Every month you make a payment, some percentage of that is interest. Just take that interest and okay, now your mortgage or now your principal will say 200,000. Now your principal is 201,000 and now yes. it'll be 202,000. Now it'll be 203,000. That keeps the homeowner in their home. It keeps the bank um, solvent because their people aren't defaulting on their mortgage. It's a lot cheaper than people just saying, because here's what's going to happen. People, because this is human nature, people are going to say, I can't afford my mortgage, I'll just default on it. And if the mortgage carriers don't have options like we're talking about, or in the case of, of what the plan we mentioned in the earlier podcast, the Fed can just say, you're going to do it. Right. Like, you're going to do it. Sue us. That, that, that really, that, that's the kind of executive action you take is you say, every bank is going to do it. And if you don't do it and you're going to try to stop us, good luck. And people will stay in their homes. Yeah, people. I don't know what the legality is on, on Trump issuing an executive order to do that or the Fed doing that or whoever, but I'm sure they could figure it out. And I, my guess is that the Supreme Court would probably back that, especially in today's environment. Yeah, or you would just say, you would cut off their access to the discount window. You would just say, okay, you would just, conditionally, any bank that has access to the discount window is going to do it starting today, make it work. And that would carry everybody through actually. And then people who would a lot, what that would do is it would also increase spending because homeowners would be, wouldn't have to make that in. Cause most people on their mortgage, most mortgages are, the interest is all front loaded. Right. So a lot of people would say, Oh, okay, this is fine. I'll, I'll take some of that interest saved and I'll use that for consumption, for spending, yep. for essentials. It becomes a de facto almost it almost becomes a ubi even though it's being it's still in the even though it's still into the mortgage in the short term it, it does act as an immediate cash injection exactly yeah there's and that's a very easy i, I shouldn't say it's an easy fix but it's it's it, it, no, is, it is it is it's simple it is it's uh it's one of those things that really could keep 
businesses afloat, keep people afloat, keep people in their houses, and you won't have all of a sudden a systemic uh, banking risk because the banks then are all doing the same thing. I mean, that's, you're going back to restaurants. I mean, one of the greatest things, if you talk to restaurateurs, they're like, back when you could have smoking inside of restaurants, uh-huh. it was really hard for the early adopters because how do you, you know, if you own like an IHOP restaurant, half your restaurant, you know, is smoking and half of it is non-smoking. How, how do you do that? And then all of a sudden say, hey, I'm not going to, I'm going to be a non-smoking IHOP. Oh, well, the Denny's down the street, they right. still have smoking, right? But if you make that, you know, where everybody has to comply to it, that, that's how you can really uh, make that work is that then every bank has to do it. Every lender. And I don't even think it's a discount window. I think it's every lender. It doesn't matter if you're public, private, you have access to this or you have access to this, this insurance or whatever. It doesn't matter if you are a real property lender regardless of the class of property, whether it be industrial, hotel, uh, multifamily, single family, whatever. Yeah, you, you have to allow for a negative amortization situation uh, for, you know, six months or a year, whatever that time period is. Great, great idea. Any, um, anything you want to close off with? No, I, I say people just keep, keep your wits about you. I, I do think that there, you know, is a lot of opportunity that'll present itself out there. Um, you know, and there's a lot of opportunities for people to, that have capital to step in and help people that don't. Um, and it can be a win-win situation. You know, there's a lot of, you know, we'll go back to this restaurant thing because it's easy again, because everybody goes in it, but you know, there's a lot of restaurant tours out there that were probably a year out from retiring and now's a great time for the younger guys that have capital or have access to capital to step in and, you know, uh, pick up a great business and also help out, you know, older uh, business owners. Well, so- sure. And something kind of more what I've been telling all the younger people is, I got to be careful how I word it because, boy, this will be taken out of context, is if, if the coronavirus continues to have a high morbidity on the elderly, then a lot of people who couldn't afford a home will be able to afford a home. So once the dust clears a year or a year now or two years from now, I think if you're under 40, especially if you're under 30, you're, you're going to be okay because yeah. you'll, be able to, you'll be able to afford the house that you couldn't afford. You'll be able, jobs will go up because a lot of the best jobs are, you know, kept by boomers and everything like that. So while, I hope nobody dies. Uh, I'm just always a, if things happen, how does that play out? for everyone else. I, I know the young people feel very uncertain and unsure, but they're the ones I think who will, will do fine from all this. Well, and uh, you know, just to reiterate this, I mean, again, I, I think there's, there's a big opportunity for boomer, boomer business owners, whatever your business is. I mean, let's say the guy that, that has been owned, you know, has owned a cigar shop for 38 years. Okay. And he was thinking about retiring you know, when he, after 40 years, well, you know, now he might just say, you know what, this is just, this is for the birds. I'm done. I want out. And it's a great time for a younger guy to come in and maybe buy a business, you know, that's below market, uh, get a good deal on it. Plus, you know, help out, uh, you know, somebody who's older of unloading that asset. So I I really think it's a win-win for people. You just got to be really smart about it. Don't overpay for stuff right now. Um, and I wouldn't be buying a lot of hard assets. Um, no, yeah, I wouldn't be buying anything. Yeah. I wouldn't be selling either. I wouldn't be paying. If you can afford to, to not sell, I wouldn't panic sell. And right. I wouldn't buy. 
But unfortunately, if everyone applies, <laughs> applies that principle. Well, they won't. I mean, won't. there's people that are just in that situation where they've made the money and they want to get out of the asset. And I think now this will be a good catalyst for some people to sell that maybe wouldn't have sold for another few years. So. All right. Well, thanks, Mr. Bolin. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Likewise, Mr. Cernovich. Have a good one. You too.